0: Um, tonight we'll be talking about uh, trust issues. You know christians are are strange for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one of the things that's really bizarre about Christians is th- the things that Christians take comfort in. Weird way of looking at things, you know, I and mean, we're the kind of people who think that it's good when someone you know slaps your face and you let them slap the other side. We're the kind of people who think that when you suffer wrongfully that you're supposed to rejoice. The the kind of people that when they want to save their lives, well, you end up losing your life, you know. And and God's economy is completely different than our own. You know, when we want answers, uh, we're told to wait. and, And that's a difficult thing, but it's something that's consistent throughout Scripture. We see it all the time. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Later on in in Psalm, in, verse, in chapter 52, verse 9, the psalmist writes, I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. And so there's this strange thing that happens to us as believers where, we're saying, hey, we're going to wait and it's going to be a good thing. And it's not natural to us at all. You know, The idea of waiting is, is something that's, that's spoken about in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. But you know, when we understand the God that we serve, it helps all of us to be able to wait. It's the only reason why it says in Psalm 46.10 that we can be still and know that he is God because we know him. And so as we're going through the book of Genesis, it is very much a book of faith, a book of trusting, a book of God saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. And then people say, all right. And then God says, now, wait. Oh, okay. (laughs) And as we get here in chapter 16, you know, we see Abraham and Sarai, they're called to exercise their faith. But the thing is, is, instead of being faithful, they move away from the abundant promises that God gives them in chapter 15. And they, they start to move into trusting in the arm of man. And so what we're going to look at tonight is we're going to focus on how easy it is to trust in the flesh. Uh, even when we've begun in the spirit. And then we're going to get to see how God responds to that lack of faith. And, and we'll look at it in these ways. So in verses 1 through 4, the very ver- first part of verse 4. We'll be looking at Sarai's inclination to trust flesh. In verses the rest of four all the way to six, the consequences of trusting the flesh. In verses seven through 14, God's grace and commitment in the face of trusting flesh. And in verses 15 to 16, Hagar's trust in and obedience to God. Um, Let's read here Genesis 16. It says, Now, uh, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, his, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, well, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Uh, observe. It is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So we're going to turn to verse 1. <clears throat> we'll start with Sarai's inclination to trust her fle- flesh. Um, no- Notice when we pick up the story here in verse 1 that... Sarah and Abram's situation hadn't changed at all since we've left them in, in chapter 15, okay? We see that Sarah hadn't had any children yet. So they had been married for years. She was still barren, you know. Abram was 86. She wasn't too far behind. A- and so it, it became a concern for them, for her in particular. If you remember at the beginning of chapter 15 in verse 3, um, Abram even goes to God and says, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So he's complaining. What's going on, God? And it says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And so in her way of thinking, she's she's thinking, well, this its not happening. It's been a while. You know, God said this and, and I'm old and getting older and he's older and getting older than than that. And it, it's not working. I and, mean, of course, we know all about being barren in their culture that they they interpreted being barren as if, you know, there's displeasure, you know, on God's part in them. And, of course, there was a very practical reason why people mattered. Of course, we know people were basically currency. You had people, you had family, you had offspring, you had protection, you had wealth. There are all these things that you could not have otherwise. And so she's looking at this and she's thinking, Now well, this this is evidence that, that God isn't gonna do this thing through me. Maybe there's some other way it's gonna happen. And so the wheels just started turning in her head, you know. And, and that's a dangerous thing when that happens in our lives. When God says something definitive, and then we stop and we start to wonder, well, is that really? Can it happen this way or that other way? And so we have to be careful about being antsy when it comes to to God's promises not arriving fast enough because we are impatient. We want things now. I mean, we've ne- people have always been impatient, you know. We, we like to say things like, you know, people are more impatient now than they've ever been. No, no. People have always been impatient. We're probably just a little more demonstrative of it in some ways, right? It's more tangible. You want to look up something like, wait, let me look it up. Yeah, You're Googling it right there. Yeah, I was right, you know, and, and you got your answer. And with God, it's not that way. We understand that, that our God is the one who does all things in his time. And could you imagine if God did not do things in his proper timing, what the results would be? In some of our lives, we've seen that, where we do things apart from God, where we do things in our own timing. And we're like, well, it's, it's it's not the way it could have been. You know, it's second, be, second be, uh, be, uh, best, you know. It's like in the Song of Solomon when he says – you know, not to awaken love before he pleases, you know. And so she's thinking about this. And here in verse 1, she feels there's a better way. She realizes, well, I, this, this Egyptian maid I got here. You know, Hagar's just hanging out. <laughs> uh, why not? You know, this, this can make some sense. And, and we kind of see her thought process here. She's trying to figure out in her own way, well, how can I make this happen? How can I go ahead And just give God a hand. God doesn't need our hands. He needs our heart, yeah? And and then, you know, he'll do whatever he wants with the rest of us. But he needs our hearts. And that wasn't the case here. We know Hagar, uh, she's this Egyptian slave that they had, um, eventually becomes Abraham's concubine, like we'll see here. And uh, very likely they picked her up way back here in, in chapter 12, when you remember Abram went down to Egypt with his wife and then he told that lie, you know, it's my sister, you know, bad things almost happened and, you know, Abram being such an upright guy. You know, but when we try to make what God said happen in our own strength, uh, we're always going to get ourselves in trouble. We have to remember that when God says something, he's the executor, right? In the same way that when we're saved, God saves us, he's the one who's doing the saving. We're not doing anything for that. We're the recipients of it. And if that's the way that it works in our salvation, it's going to work that way in all other areas in our lives. Where if God says, hey, this is the case here, well, all right, that's what's going to happen. Now, let's sit back and, and see what the Lord does. We see this countless times, you know. I think of like some of the prophets, I think they kind of understood The reality of God doing stuff. I think anybody really has been used of God understands the reality of God just doing things because he is God in his way. I think of like Jonah. Not, you know, wanting to be obedient, goes through his whole thing at the end. And he does this interesting thing. He goes up the hill. He sits there and he waits. And he figures, all right, God's going to toast him now. He fully expected it to happen. Now he was an angry guy, and he was uh, doing things, you know, in, in his in his selfish heart. He's hoping, all right, God, let them have it. But it was a, it was a, nothing that was out of the realm of possibility for him to God just smite an entire city. I mean, when God told Abraham to go get Lot to Lot get out of here because God's going to smoke the city, Lot didn't say, "Are you sure?" He got up and, and he took off, man. When God makes promises, He's the executor, and, and such is the case in our lives every single day. And so she hatches this plan. Everything starts going, and she figures, uh, "I can convince my husband." You know, she's not the first woman to ever say that. And so she goes and she tells Abram, in verse verse three, uh, two here, she says, "Hey, you know, um, she's here. Um, we got Hagar, and it could work." She figured any any child born to Hagar is just as good as any child born to her. She's going back and figuring, well, God said to Abram, the child shall be from you. He didn't say anything about me. So, you know, I guess this is technically the way. You know, it's amazing how we all become lawyers when it fits us, doesn't it? Well, you really said, man. You know, it sounds an awful lot like Eve in Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? You know, you'll see a lot of parallels as we go through this. Um. She just starts to question the Lord, you know, is this really what the Lord said, just like Satan, you know, told Eve when he standing there at that tree. And she even explains to him, she says, we have Hagar here. And she says, look, uh, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. He's prevented me from this. You know, so to her understanding, she's like, God is the one who grants and prevents things from happening. She's saying, well, if God is not letting it happen this way, then there's another way. You know this makes sense. It kind of does make sense. Well, God didn't let it happen this way. Maybe, maybe if I go around the other way, it'll, it'll, it'll happen. And whenever we're facing decisions in our in our lives, we need to take them to the Lord. We need to be patient with what He has for us, with His answer, and waiting for that. When He does answer, well, we're patient to allow Him to do the things that He said He was going to do. That when things are, there's a bit of a hesitation, or at least what we think is hesitation. That we don't go and try to pick it up because we are honest with ourselves. Well, as guys, we want to go take care of things. We want to go do that. Well, I can go do that, right? It's like it's why there's a million projects around your house and like you've started them, and that's it. (laughs) I could build that. That's easy. A few nails, some hammers, a drill. And like, wait a second, that wasn't so easy. It is interesting, though, how she did understand it's out of her control. But at the same time, she's like, well, let me now take control. You know, know, a problem we have with trust is when we reject that notion that we don't have things in control. The more that's real to us, the better it's going to be for us consistently. You know, as believers, we should absolutely love the idea that things are not in our control. Because if we're honest, we remember what things were like when we had control of our lives. We understand what the fruit of that is, and it is not good. Or else we would not have turned to Lord and said, "Okay, Lord, this is—you got this." (laughs) Because every time I've tried to get it, it just—it crumbles. You know, it's the thing that has driven us to Christ, and we understand this. Sarah wasn't wasn't operating in that mode, and so her hope here. Was that Abram would obtain this child from Hagar says, well, you know, you can attain a child by her and things would still be all right. This plan is basically what God said anyway. It's close enough for this crowd. She's figuring. Yeah, really? If that's what we're selling for as believers, we're in a heap of trouble. If we're approximating holiness, we're in a lot of trouble. Contradicts her understanding, right? That God is in control. And She says with one breath. Well, God is restraining me. Well, now let me go around and do something else in contradiction to God's will. You know, how often do we try to wrest control of our lives from God? It happens all the time, sometimes in very small ways in our lives. And we're like, I'm going to just take control of this little bit. And we know in our heart of hearts what we're doing. And we figure that because someone else can't see what it is, that it's okay. But God knows. The Lord understands what we're doing. And we have to be right with him above all else. We need to remember that as we're living, that we're acting in accordance with his will and with his word and that we're checking all things through the two of those. If we're not checking everything in our lives against those two things, then we're going to be off. That's how people, you know, when people go off the deep end as believers, it's not something that happens all of a sudden. It happens slowly. It happened with some kind of a thought way back when. And they clung to that thought and it just slowly eroded that whole larger and larger and larger. And pretty soon the entire levy was broken. And it's a danger that we all face every day. You know, if it's not Scripture, we have to stay away from it. And so when we're judging our own lives and judging our own walks and trying to see are we in the will of God, we're coming back to that word and using it as our standard. We're understanding, well, the Lord said this, you know, let me make sure that that's the Lord that I heard. And we go back to Scripture make sure it doesn't contradict it. And and so then we lift it up in prayer, you know, and we allow the Lord to do the things that he says he's going to do. And if we understand that we serve this faithful God, then He's going to go ahead and be faithful for us, because that doesn't change. Now, now Abram he hinders his wife out, and Abram does a foolish thing of listening to his wife over God, and so he speaks. She speaks to him. He says, and he heeded her voice. He listened. It's the exact same word um, that's used in Genesis three fifteen, of Adam listening to his wife Eve when she said, Hey, this this thing looks really good. I and mean, look at it. He's like, all right. I don't, you know, it's funny. He didn't take much convincing, Adam, huh? I mean, Eve, it took a little while. She's like, listen, yeah, I guess. And, and the, at the mere suggestion, Adam's like, let me give me that thing. And he ate that sucker and chomped. And he's like, whoop! <laughs> I need some clothes. And Abram, it didn't take much. His wife, his wife spoke about two sentences to him. And he's like, another woman? All right. <laughs> you got it? The Lord's will? Okay. Sheesh. <laughs> And, you know, the, the bad thing is that he's following his wife's lead, and we have this reversal in, in God's design. Remember what it says in Genesis 3.17. It says, and so then uh, to Adam, the Lord said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, curse it is the ground for your sake. For in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Hmm. God forbid that we listen to people more than we listen to man, uh, listen to people more than we listen to God because every time that happens we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Hey, we seek each other's counsel, and that's great. We pray for each other, that's awesome. But we encourage each other in, in the word. And every once in a while, one of your buddies will see something that's a, that's just just a bit off, and if you catch it, you know that you caught it. Now you know what you got to do. Okay? You don't say like, "Oh, well, they're they're you know, my friends. That's all right, you know." I just go along with it. The, the Lord understands. Hmm. There's a pattern throughout the Old Testament uh, of um, of women acting in this way with their husbands. You know, remember uh, that Rebecca. She acted as a woman who didn't trust in, in the Lord's word. She took things in her own hands. She took her her son Jacob, deceiving her husband. Right, he's blind and puts him right in front of his father and says, "You get the blessing now." In Genesis twenty seven six or seventeen, and it's something that happens as the Lord says something. And we continually try to go around and go around and go around. You know, God tells us in Hebrews 6.12 that through faith and patience we inherit the promises. That's the way it happens. If that happens eternally, it happens here as well. And so we have to have our ear attuned to that matter in our lives. You know, how much faith do you really have in God's promises? How much trust do you have? Is it enough to survive years in waiting? Because that was the case with Abram and Sarah. I mean, we see he's 86 here. He's not going to have the kid till he's 99 years old. He's going to wait another 13 years. He's already been walking with God, you know, out there in Canaan for 10 years. This is a lot of waiting, man. How much faith do you have? How much trust do you have? What if God doesn't return in your lifetime? Are you still going to be faithful? We're all way on this rapture. We're expecting it to happen. You know, Netanyahu got up there and spoke. We're like, yeah, it's going to happen. You know, we're getting all excited and stuff. And, hmm. We have to remember the Lord, the Lord knows. You know, we're just hanging on. We're just trying to be obedient. You know, we have to remember that we rely on the God who saved us In that the things that he says are true, that they don't waver, that although people change, although people will say things that contradict the word of God, that he is not a liar. Though every man be found a liar, yet he is still true, it tells us in Romans 3, 4. And so Abram and Sarah got together and she gave him her concubine or his concubine now. And they executed their own plan. She gives Hagar to him 10 years now that they've been walking with God. And he took her. He laid with her as a wife, it says. And of course, she conceived. So it worked, right? But just because something works doesn't mean it's the way it should be. Just because you glued everything, taped everything together doesn't mean that's the way it's supposed to be constructed. And that's why it's all shoddy. That's why it's falling apart. And yet our lives are like that sometimes. You know, man's plans can work, guys. Sometimes they can look really good. But the question we should always ask ourselves is, you know, are are these things God's will? Is this what the Lord wants for me? I was reading this article um, from some Christian magazine. I don't even remember it's one of the dumb things. And they were talking about this guy, Francis Chan. You guys have heard of him. And there was some interview. And the basics of the interview was that he was really harping on the idea that believers, evangelicals, all, you know, all the names they try to slap on all of us, that we're all scared to do things. That we're convinced of the idea that we have to wait for God before we do things. And you know what? Sometimes you just got to go do it. Just go get it done. And then we'll see if God's there. It's like, whoa, what? What? Really? I just, I don't know. Every time people I see in the Bible go and take their own initiative and it, it's not led by the Lord, bad things happen. Hmm. And it's sad that this is the kind of stuff that a lot of people think. This creates like the Christian activist, so to speak, you know. He promotes believers, believers acting rather than trusting. Sarah is an example of this problem with acting apart from God's will, she just does it her own way. Hmm. But look at secondly in verse 4, the second half. Look at the consequences of her trust. We see that trusting the flesh created greater discontent. So Hagar has this this child and it says, so when she saw she conceived, she looked at her mistress and it says she despised her. That that word despise, it's an interesting word. It means uh, to uh, slight somebody or to intend to lower someone's position, kind of like as a curse, okay? So you're looking at somebody, you're saying, well, they're not what they used to be. And so in reality, Sarai what, her position wasn't lowered, but it was lowered in terms of its prestige, in terms of her function. Because now Hagar had something over her. I got something that you don't. It's actually the same idea that David uses of himself when he's speaking to his wife, Michael, in 2 Samuel 6.22. And she's getting on him about dancing in front of the Lord and all this stuff. He says, no, I'm going to be even more undignified than this. You know, and It's that same idea, undignified, of lowering oneself, in that case, in the positive. And so she looked on her and in her mind, in her judgment, in her own judgment, she said, she, she's not what she is. She's she's not really the wife of Faber. That's that's me. OK, that that's not her. Of course, we know what it says in Proverbs twenty-one twenty-five that a fool is right in his own eyes. Right. So she looks on her with her own judgment and Hagar's ability then to bear this child. It, it brings that to pass. And we see we see example after example in Scripture of, of like these rivalries that happen because, because men are disobedient to God. Ultimately, yes, we see that you, they take multiple wives, and there's always something that happens. One woman gets mad at the other woman, and this that, and the other thing. We see it all the time in Jacob's wives with Leah and Rachel. It's why they ended up being twelve. You know, they said, "Well, I'm gonna have no now. Nah, I'm gonna now. Nah, I'm gonna have one now. Nah, I can't have any more. Take my my uh, maiden, and we'll take my now." And, It was everyone was one-upping each other, man. It was just craziness. Hmm. We saw how how numerous women caused Solomon's zeal for God to wane, led him down a path that he regretted later on in his life. And so Abram just introduced all of this stuff that had no business being in his life right in the middle. In the relationship that was supposed to be the most important in his life, he said, come on in. You know, have a place right in the living room. It's always interesting that even with this practice, God allowed it, but He never condoned it, and and it's very similar to what Sarah, Sarah is doing in her circumventing, you know, God's will and Abram agreeing with it. That although it's not by design, well, we see what happens. We yields this unhappiness in their marriage, and that's the second consequence here, that trusting the flesh disrupted their marriage relationship. So they have this issue, and Sarah's is feeling this herself. Abram's already done whatever he's going to do, and he's. He's off. And so she goes to him complaining. She's very upset at him, no less. She says, you know, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maiden to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between you and me. So she cursed Abram. She says, hey, this is this is your fault. (laughs) Okay, I mean, he did. He had his part in it. It was her idea. It's interesting. She's injured by these unintended consequences. It's like, man, what are you doing? You, you know, we don't think things out, do we? We do things out of impulse, out of uh, silly desires. And then when we're left with the aftermath, we complain about it. We're like, why? And then we, we have the nerve to cry out to God about these things. Man, I mean, the, the way that the Lord doesn't just wipe us out on like a daily basis is absolutely amazing. And we, I'm always amazed when I read the Old Testament, all the crazy things that happen. And it's so easy for us to sit there and wag our, our heads at them and say, oh, look at them. You know, they were they were dumb. They are doing this that, and the other thing. Uh, but we're doing the same things, you know. We're, we're not much different. And so she was dealing with this difficulty, heaped upon her difficulty of already being barren. So it instead of sal- putting a salve on the wound, it exacerbates. It just squeeze lemon right on it. I mean, remember the difficulty that um, that Hannah had in having child when I mean, Samuel was born, First Samuel 1, 1 through 8. And and how, you know, her rival also ridiculed her until finally she went to the Lord. And because she was faithful to the Lord, what did the Lord do? He blessed her. He said, all right, here you go. You know, this will be your child. You'll dedicate him to me. Hmm. So when we allow self to dictate the, our decisions... You know, we shouldn't be surprised when the outcome is self. Flesh can only produce flesh. That's the way it always happens in our lives. In the same way that spirit can only produce spirit. Hmm. You know, do you decry your actions due to consequences? Or are are you sad because you did wrong? Because that's what we should be upset about. See, Sarah was upset because of the consequences. She's like, I don't like this. You know, I'm supposed to be the woman around here. You know, God's desires that we ask forgiveness because we know that our sin is against him and not because our sin has made us uncomfortable. Now, the fact that it's uncomfortable is a tutor to us. Yes, it's something that points out to us. See, that was a boneheaded thing you just did. And then we come to the Lord, you know, with a right heart. But we don't come to the Lord just to hopefully he's going to like fix everything and say, there you go. It's all good. And so Sarai calls on the Lord, of course, she says, Lord, judge between us. You know, she feels it's not right. She feels that she should be vindicated in some way. And she says, hey, so it's got to be you. You know, it's, it's it's you, husband. You're the head of the home. You let this happen. And she just didn't get it. You know, she wouldn't get it until God would would show himself strong on her behalf later on in her life. I mean, heck, even when when God told Abram, you're going to have this boy, you're going to call him Isaac. She's sitting there laughing it up. You know, laugh it up, chuckles, laugh it up. You know, sure enough, a year later, you know, she sees, oh, <laughs> The Lord was right. And, you know, how often do, do we begin to lay blame anywhere but on ourselves when we've done wrong? Right. It's like you're working on something, you're doing something and you break something. You're like, why'd you do that? You know, I didn't do nothing. I was just watching. You know, we yell at like our sons or something or, or your wife, she's trying to help you. And now it's her fault. <laughs> and your son's too scared to say anything. And your wife is, uh, you know, she just says, all right, you're stupid. <laughs> say whatever you want. Man, we are dumb sometimes. If only it was only this was true in trivial things, but it's not. It's, it's true in things that matter in our lives. Unfortunately, it just manifests itself in that way, and so we have to be careful about that. We have to be honest with ourselves when there's something wrong in our lives, when we see what's going on, and that we're not looking out. We're first seeing, first looking at ourselves. Xavier like were so fond of talking about how when you point the finger, you got three pointing back right at you, and there's a lot of truth in that, right? But notice also one of the consequences uh, of trusting in self is that trusting in flesh led to acting apart from God's order. And so Abram, rather than solving things, he just tells her, well, go do whatever you want. (laughs) She's under your control. Go ahead and do that. He just gave her permission. He didn't solve anything. He just says, if it basically gave her carte blanche, if you need to want to hurt her, go ahead. It doesn't matter to me. It's like when you're fed up with a child. You say, well, just go to your room. Get out of here. They go to the room, and who knows what they're doing in there. It's just silly. And so we realize and we understand that as men, as husbands, we need to take responsibility for the shortcomings in our homes. While it wasn't his idea, he surely could have fixed things. He surely could have made things right, but he, he chose not to. He had the chance to change the conversation, but he just kicks the can right down the road acts yeah, just like Adam, doesn't he? You know? The only problem with Adam is that by the time it got to him, everybody else had already pointed it out to him. Which was good because the Lord just nailed him because it was on him. But notice that another consequence in trusting the flesh is that it leads to greater sin here. Look at what, what Sarai does here. It says in verse 6, so Sarai went and she dealt harshly with uh, with Hagar. And so Hagar fled from her presence. She went and she was cruel. That word deal harshly. It means, um, and it's an intensive verb, but it means to punish or inflict pain. And it's usually, it's used really uh, of what one does to their enemies. You you hurt them because you you despise them. Because they don't like you. So her sole purpose in how she treated Hagar, Hagar was just to to punish. Just to hurt. That's it. And that's an evil thing. When you hurt someone just to hurt them, that that is really evil. It's not like someone hurt you intentionally, you know, someone punches you, you punch them back. That's kind of square. But someone did what you told them to do, and I said, "You're going to pay for that." What? <laughs> what did I do? And and so we have this 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 bit of her flesh that she just starts feeding in herself. Hmm. But that's what happens. When we're trusting in our flesh. All of those qualities that have been put aside for so long, they wake right back up, don't they? And they and they get going. They don't jump up and like start walking. They get up and they run. Yeah. And, and they do their worst. It's interesting that she's sorrowful at well, she's uncomfortable really with this whole idea of of being, you know, despised, like it says. By Hagar, but whatever sorrow she felt, whatever sadness or discomfort she felt, it did nothing in terms of her repentance. You know, she just allowed it to fuel this anger, and it just makes zero sense. And the Lord calls us that when we see our sin, that we're sorrowful in a manner that leads us to repentance. As it tells us in the Book of First Corinthians. You know, how awful would it be if if we punish our children? For our own poor decisions. It, it would make zero sense. We love our children. And we might say that's a foolish thing. And yet we, we do things like that all the time. In, in numerous ways. Because exactly what Sarah does. And so it was bad enough that Hagar figured, you know, there's nothing else for me to do. And so she takes off. She couldn't bear it any longer, it tells us. You know, there's always casualties to sin. That you cannot ever anticipate. You just can't. You, you don't realize we talk about this ripple effect with sin, right? And I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I think about sin and how it affects other people, you think of the people immediately around you. you don't always think about the person down the road that it affects. And it's interesting that she her sin, you know she figures it's Abram, you know it's you and me, Abram, blah blah blah, it's God, and, and he goes, "Well yeah, now it's you, Hagar, you're going to pay for this." And she's like, "What do I do?" I've just been hanging out. You know, I'm just, you own me. Well, what are you going to do? So we have to consider that uh, our sin has these, uh, these ramifications that we really don't know in the same way that your life for God has ramifications that you don't understand. Things that we will not know till we get to heaven. We have to understand how it's true on either side, whether you're being disobedient to God or whether you're being obedient to God. The, the cause and effect is, is is the same. Hmm. Be aware of what you're doing and who it impacts. Know that you impact even more than just your family, but the people that, that watch you, the people that see you on a daily basis, the people at work that you talk about being a Christian, not even the ones that you know and have lunch with, but the ones that are just literally watching, the ones that see you from a distance, the ones that, because they see the way you're living, they decide, hey, I'm going to go to church. And then they get saved. Lord just nails them. Hmm. And yet that, that's what has to happen. And the amazing thing is that when we do mess up, the Lord is so gracious with us. That when we come to him and say, Lord, you know, this, you know, this I messed up. You know, this is what happened. That he covers it. He says, all right. I, I can work with you now. Let, let's keep going. And so we see here in verses 7 through 12 how God's grace uh, and his commitment is active in the face of, of all of this flesh, just going back and forth. We, we see that as Hagar runs away, that God pursues the brokenhearted. It says that the angel of the Lord himself finds Hagar in this spring as she's sitting there. So she's fled to this, on the way to Shur, it's way out in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's a wilderness, is what it calls it elsewhere in the Bible. And it's on the way to Egypt, uh, which is where she had come, so she's very likely going back home. There's nowhere else for her to go, and she, she takes off. She's in the middle of the desert. She's hanging out by this well, and God visits her. And no one other than the angel of the Lord. And it's interesting. This is the actual first occurrence of the angel of the Lord in the entire Bible. You know, the angel of the Lord is the angel of Yahweh. It's a theophany, God appearing to man. And, and uh, we believe that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. And, and due to the way that the angel of the Lord functions... In his various appearances throughout the Old Testament. It's very similar to the function a, a, of Christ in his uh, life and death. And so we see the Lord himself appearing and ministering to Hagar. And demonstrating that he cared for her. And he cared for her and was showing her this grace. Because she was innocent in the matter. It wasn't her, her deal. It wasn't her fault. You know it's interesting. Uh, as you read through Scripture. There's tons of examples of not tons. There's many examples of women at the well type scenarios. Remember the famous one of Jesus in John chapter four, speaking to the woman at the well. There's other ones: John, uh, Genesis twenty-four eleven, uh, Genesis twenty-nine two, Exodus two fifteen. You know, in each of these times, the Lord comes and visits these people and ministers to them in a way that's appropriate for where they're at in their lives. And it's it's this awesome visual of, of the Lord coming and ministering to this lady. And quenching her thirst, so to speak, at a, at a time where she was parched, she was dying. You know, she's she's pregnant, <laughs> she's in the desert, she's trying to get to other. I mean, you look on the map; it looks real close, right? But if you've ever had to do a hike in the heat, in something close to a desert, you're you're not happy. You're not happy at all. You're like, man, where's where's a tree? <laughs> where's a shade? I need me some more water, and it's 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 not good. Yet the Lord comes and he ministers to her and this is this should not surprise us at all because the Lord does done this to us. He does this to so many people and we serve this God who seeks out those who are in desperate need of him and he ministers to them because if that wasn't the case, we all wouldn't be here. The Lord went and he sought us out. You know, we didn't find God. You know, he went and he grabbed us and said, listen up. And we said, "Okay." you know, you got my attention. And so he comes to her and then he asks her and begins to, to demonstrate his love in just listening to her. He sits with her and he says, Well, you know, Sarah, you know, uh, you're the sovereign of Sarah. Where are you going? And you know, what's going on? And he knows it's God. He knows everything. But he demonstrates that this personal care for her, this interest in, in what she's dealing with. And we forget sometimes that although the Lord, you know, is this God who in the first chapter of this book speaks everything into existence. He's this God that cares about us as individuals. He cares about you as a person more than any person ever can. And that that it should be absolutely humbling to us that this is the case that he desires a personal relationship with each of us. And so as he sits there and asks her this question, she responds, she says, well, you know, uh, I'm fleeing. You know, I'm fleeing from her presence. I I, I got to get away. I'm headed back home. It's neat because as the Lord is sitting there listening to her and he's hearing everything that he already knows. It's cool because it's, it's a picture of how God deals with us and how he's concerned with us in as much as he's concerned with. For your, the issues in your life, as little or as big as they are, he's concerned with them. And so he sits there and listens. You know, I even imagine that, that even getting to tell God about this, even though she didn't quite get it yet, she was about to understand it in a second. It was a comfort. Just like when you speak to somebody, what's going on, it's a comfort, isn't it? And how much more we get to speak to God, which is exactly what she was doing. Now, this was basically prayer. You know, prayer accomplishes the exact same thing for us today. That when we sit there at the feet of God and we just lay everything out in front of him, we cast our cares there and we let him deal with it. And it's not because he doesn't know the issues of our lives, but he wants us to submit to him. He wants us to take them to his feet. He'll say, okay, this is what we'll do. This is how things are going to work. And that he's sufficient for that. And it's that constant refinement that happens in our lives as we seek him in prayer, as we invest that time. You know, invest that time. Prayer is huge. Prayer is huge. I mean, Tony just finished, you know, on Sunday talking about the prayer ministry. It's true. Nobody, I mean, I don't, I don't even know who prays. <laughs> I don't even know who does that stuff. But thank God that they do. Thank God that when we can, you know, just throw somebody's name on a slip and drop it in that envelope, but someone's going to go pray for them. That the Lord's gonna take care of it. That there's supplications being made for that person. You know, how much do we pray? Is it a consistent part of our lives? Because sometimes reading it's something that, oh, I gotta read. You know, okay, I read my chapter, I'm out of here, gotta to get to work, gotta get my coffee, gotta get my food, gotta go do this, gotta go do that. And we're moving a thousand miles an hour, but to stop and sit and be still and pray, you know, talk about waiting. And so as she's sitting there and she speaks to God, God answers. You know, God instructs. You know, her, the faint-hearted. The angel of the Lord tells her first something that seems strange. He says, "Hey, go back to Sarah and submit to her. You go ahead and go back." That word "submit" means to humble yourself, to to be afflicted, literally. And so he commands her, uh, "Go back." Now, hmm. uh, God had to be scary that she needed to go a- and do this thing. And uh, trust God that what he said made sense, although it probably made very little sense. She's like, well, she's going to kill me. She's going to do something that's going to hurt me even worse than I am now. And you want me to go back, then the Lord said, go do it. And, you know, God, God asks us to do crazy things. Sometimes things that seem impossible, things that are preposterous. And, and we have to understand that the Lord is never going to ask us to do something that's not best for us. He always has that in mind. Even if it results in your end, it's what's best for you. And that's what we hang our hats on. That the Lord is is true in this way and that he is faithful. I mean, the, the fact that he saved you, that he's preserved you up until now. If the Lord asks you to do something that doesn't make sense, how can we show such little faith? That's what Sarah and Abram were guilty of. That the Lord called this guy out, says, leave your family. And he goes and he does it. It makes zero sense. Lord says, go do this, go do that. He's doing okay. Then it's just bumping the road. All these things that happen as a result of this, and hmm, obedience matters. I remember Peter when he's walking on the water and, and he's making his way towards Jesus. You know, his, his real problem is he kind of forgot how he got there. He forgot as he started looking around. That for the last, I don't know, 10 yards, he'd already been walking on the water. And then all of a sudden he gets scared after he had been doing it for all this time. It's just we do these things in our lives that don't make sense. We allow the circumstances to dictate our response. And, and that's not the way it should be in our lives. You know, he forgot that God was the one that those keeping him afloat the whole entire time. And that's the, tr- the truth in our lives. And the Lord's beginning to teach Hagar about this. And he even goes further. He, he tells her, go do this crazy thing. And then he's gracious enough to make a commitment to her. He makes these promises. Look what it says there in verse 11, or verse 10. He says, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. So he, he says, your, your son is going to be fine. You're going to have all these descendants that you will not be able to number. And this is her comfort. Because it ensures that her child will be fine and ensures that she's going to be fine. It takes a long view of things. It's kind of like when the Lord tells us, hey, you trust me, you're going to end up with me in eternity. We're like, yeah, that's where I want to be. But then when something seems a little iffy along the way, we're like, well, I don't know. It's like if somebody tells us, hey, go go run 100 meters fast as you can. I'm going to give you $5,000. And you're going to be busting your hump. Even if you're sucking eggs about 50 meters in, you're like, man, I haven't run in about 10 years. You're going to keep going because you want that money. There's that reward that's out there for you. And so this functions in the same way when he says, your, your child's going to be fine. You're going to have all these descendants. Everything's going to work out just fine for you. And so he lays that out. It, the graciousness of God when she needs it in the worst time in her life up until this point, I'm sure. And God consi- consistently does that for us. So that when you come and you read, in scripture, and you see the Lord's promises for you, that you take heart in those promises. Because it reminds you of what you're working towards. Of how you're meant to live. And he even goes further to describe her son in verse 11. He tells her that his name would be Ishmael because the Lord heard her affliction. Her, literally, Ishmael means God will hear. And of course, this is a bit of prophecy. She didn't know she was having a son. The Lord said that you're going to have a son. That's what you're going to name him. And, you know, your son's going to be a testament um, to you and to others of God's mercy to you. To, in fact, all those who call on me. And that's the cool thing. Your know, Names are so so awesome in the Old Testament, huh? I mean, it's just just wild the way the Lord does these things. You know, And every time she'd call her son, she would never forget what the Lord did for her. It would always be there as a reminder. And it's cool because it, this is the kind of, um, the thing that the Lord does in our lives, when the Lord is active in our lives, when he interrupts the trajectory of your life to speak to you, and he does this all the time, that we take that and we hang on to it. we remember that because it's going to give us encouragement in the times that we need it. And the Lord commits then to her. Hmm. Do we remember the way the Lord works in our lives? Or do we kind of file them away? Do we close that drawer and lock it up and and just throw away the key because sometimes we act like that's what happens in our lives, huh? The Lord is faithful and, and we're like, yeah, but that was last week. (laughs) That was last year. Hmm. It needs to inform our present circumstances, doesn't it? What the Lord has done in our lives needs to impact us right now. Okay. It needs to move us forward in him. And as this happens, you know, the Lord also reveals other things to her um, in verse 12, or in second half, yeah, verse 12 all down to 13, he reveals about the character of Ishmael. It says that he's going to be a wild man, that he would be against every man, every man's going to be against him. It's kind of uh, crazy the way they talk about him here. When they're talking about Ishmael being a wild man, literally, it's talking he's going to be like a wild donkey. A wild donkey man is the way it literally sounds in Hebrew. So that must have sounded weird to her. I don't know, but maybe the Lord, you know, just glossed that over in her hearing. I, I'm not sure how that works. But basically he's going to be like a free nomad. He's just going to do his thing. It's the same idea these wild donkeys that it speaks of in Jeremiah 2.24 when these donkeys are out there. It says they're, they're sniffing the air and being led by their desires. You know, The exact same idea. This is going to be who Ishmael would be, this untamable roaming guy, and he would have enemies all around. They'd be his enemy. He'd be their enemy. And of course, we know that historically, that from Ishmael would come from the Arabs, and to this day, they're fulfilling this prophecy, right? They're consistently in con- in conflict with others, consistently in conflict with, with Israel, you know. And it's it's a warring people. The Lord said it, and his history's borne it out. There's no other way to look at it. No matter who says otherwise, we know the truth. Hmm. But it's cool because, you know, God's blessings for Hagar. They don't preclude negative consequences of Sarah's disobedience, do they? Because these things and this tumult that would come from this, these people ultimately are the result of Sarai's sin, aren't they? And so it goes for generations, on and on and on and on. Man, some things just don't end. And so he told her, this is how your son's going to be. This is how he's going to live. He's going to dwell with his own brethren. And it's a little misleading there. Literally, it says he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So it's the idea that he's going to live in hostility with all his brothers. Uh, speaking of Israel there. Okay. And these would be Isaac's descendants who his brother was 13 years off. But sure enough, he'd be there. And so we even have a prophecy of Isaac there. And so we have all these things happen as the Lord is ministering to her. It's, it's so crazy the way the Lord works, you know. It's just like prophecy works, huh? Uh later on with with so many prophets where you have the near term and, and the long term. And the Lord even does that right here uh with with Hagar. But notice lastly in verses 13 through 16 that Hagar uh trusts in God and is obedient to him. In verse 13, she she understands the character of God as a result of encountering Him. Okay, knows what she calls Him. You are the God who sees, she says there in verse thirteen. So she understood that that God is is a God who sees everything. He He took notice of her in the middle of the desert. He said, "I, I got you. You know, wherever you're at, I, I, I've, I'm going to take care of you." And so she understands this is the God who who sees everything. Are we constantly aware then that God? Is not only in control, but that He is seeing it all. You know, and as He sees it all, He doesn't just see; He's not just this passive observer, but He acts on things. So that as you encounter those difficulties, He's going to act on it. We don't serve a God who is powerless, nor um, unwilling to act on behalf of those whom He loves. You know, it makes me think of what it says in Second Chronicles 16:9, where it says, "For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth." To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You know, all over the place. He wants to show himself strong in our lives today. He wants to do it tomorrow. He wants to do it as long as we're around. And the only thing in question is are we letting him? Hmm. Hagar, she has this encounter with God, she understands who he is, but not only that, she's she's amazed that God has visited her. She sits there and she says, "Well, this is this is the God this you are the God who sees all." And then she asks herself this question: "Have I also here seen Him who sees me?" So I'm still alive. I saw God. I'm still alive. Which, of course, we know that they understood that if they saw God, they'd die. Okay. So she's like, "How how, how did this happen? How how do I still live?" In fact, the text here bears some similarities to Exodus thirty-three twenty-three, where God tells tells Moses. Um, that he's going to allow him to see his back, remember, you know, see the trail of his glory. In fact, the King James renders it a little differently for those of you guys that are still running around with King James Bibles. he said, She says, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? And that's actually the word there after him. It's one word in the, in the Hebrew, came. Okay. And it's cool because she's asking this question. It seems rhetorical, but in reality, it's expressing the idea that she's truly humbled that God who sees all came and visited her, That he he interrupted her life to speak to her, to minister to her. And, you know, are we humbled by that fact that God looks after us? When When we try to get puffed up, when we try to find something to take pride in about ourselves, do we remember that it is a humbling thing that God speaks to us? That we get to come before him and speak to him. And it's a consistent thing. It's constant access. It should make us feel tiny. I think we'd act a little differently if we remember that all the time, huh? We wouldn't be walking around looking so proud, so tough, so fill in the blank. Whatever it is that does it for you, I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, you, you, you wouldn't take so much stock in that. Hagar, as she's here, she understands and knows the importance then of remembering God's visitation. Look what she does here in verse 14. It says, so she's there and she names this well, Beer Lahai Roy. And uh, she tells us where it's located. So she calls it that, meaning, you know, hey, this is the well of the living one who's seen me. Okay, So she commemorated the place of her visitation. In the same way that we see monuments put up all over the place uh, throughout the Old Testament. When the Lord does something, erect a the monument, there you go. So that when they see that, they're going to remember, hey, the Lord did that there. This is what the Lord did. She understood that He is always alive. Even look at what she says: "The well of the Living One, who's, who has seen me." It's present tense, you know. He is the one true God. He always exists. What did, what did he tell Moses? "I am," that I am, right? Not "I was," not "I will be." I am, you know. God was like a grammarian or something, you know. You know, our interactions with the Almighty it needs to leave us keenly aware of His character. And so does that knowledge then of his character tangibly affect the way we live our lives? If we understand that God is our judge, then maybe we'll have a little bit of fear. Maybe we'll be in awe. If we understand that he is gracious, then maybe we'll go to him and take our our troubles to him. (laughs) Hmm. Remember the Psalms that we talked about at the very beginning of the study? All those things were predicated on knowing God, huh? We trust in him because he is good, you know? I love it. Is that, that's actually, I believe it's the same psalm where it says, Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. And it's so cool because it's just, it's true. And I always need that. I always need to remember that for myself. So that when we remember that, we trust in him. Psalm 106.13 tells us something similar. It says, so they soon forgot his works, he says, and they did not wait for his counsel. And he's recounting people who were, uh, his, Israel's history and how they came back to the Lord, you know, after being disobedient, the Lord done all these things. And it says, and then they forgot what he did. And he says, and then after that, they weren't able to wait. They weren't able to be patient. If we're talking about patience, if we're talking about trusting, it happens because you remember what he did. Because you recall, you understand that there's this history that happens between you and God. So that Remembering God's work in the past is going to move you to future faithfulness. And That's how you ensure things. And you stay in the word and you stay in prayer, and the Lord uses these things in conjunction, in our lives, and he, and he ministers to us. And she doesn't leave it there. She doesn't just set up a monument. She doesn't just throw the scripture up on the wall in her house. But she goes and she's obedient. It tells us she goes back home there and she bore Abram a son in verse 15, and she called his name. Abram called his name Ishmael. And so we see God's word came to pass. But more importantly, well, it is just as important that she was obedient for our application, that she was obedient, even though it made no sense. Even though I'm sure when God's talking about her son, you know, she didn't get all that stuff. But she went and she obeyed. She is such a contrast to Sarai, right? She's like the antithesis in this passage. You know, Sarai is doing her own thing. She forgets. She does this and that and the other thing. You know, she can't wait. And all she's called to do is wait. That's it. She's not put in any real danger. Just wait. Not that hard of a thing to do. And yet she can't do it. Hmm. And interesting. The faith of an Egyptian here puts to shame, you know, the faith of a mother of nations, huh? And just this amazing thing the Lord does. He always he takes the humble, huh? And he works in their lives. And is always such an example to us. You know, I'm often put to shame when I think about the faith of people that I see around me. You know, I, I look around, even, even in this room, some of you guys are, have difficult situations that you deal with consistently. And yet you remain steadfast in him. And it's something that is constantly instructing someone from my, like myself who's really, I mean, uh, the honest truth is I've had very little difficulty. And I'd like to keep it that way too, if I could. <laughs> I mean, I'm not asking for anything. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm fine learning by seeing, <laughs> But uh, some of you guys, tough situations, man. And you just stay faithful to God. And, and it's a blessing to the people that see you walk all these years. That see you be faithful to God. And I got to think that even in this, that the Lord is going to use Hagar as an example in some way to Sarah. I should be like, oh, well, maybe, maybe this is maybe I wasn't all right. Maybe this this wasn't the way I should do things. You know, when we have nothing but amazing promises in front of us uh, from God, shouldn't we trust in him more today than we did yesterday? I I think we should. And look what the Lord does for Ishmael. He takes care of him and that the kid's born, you know, and he's there with his father. Abram was an old guy. He was 86. Remember that he had been walking with God since he was 75, basically, you know, 10 years he was waiting for a promise, 10 years. How long do we wait for something to happen? Uh, If it's from God, I guess it's as long as it takes, right? That's the only answer that makes any sense, you know, if we're looking at Scripture. And we, hopefully, we remember that idea. That as the Lord is faithful, then if there's nothing else we remember, that's the thing we remember. You know, Lord, you're faithful. I'm not. And as long as I'm around, I'm going to hopefully remember that. It's the only thing that's going to hold Abram in check. And you're going to see as we go through each of the people here in Genesis, that's the thing that keeps so many people in check. I mean, how else do you explain the life of Joseph? Makes no sense, you know, but he understood the Lord that he served. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we pray that you would move us to more faithfulness uh, and more love for you. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to have lives that are marked by your love and and by your grace and mercy in a way that that brings people to you. We thank you for the body of believers that we have here, for the encouragement that we receive from one another. We pray that you continue to use us to sharpen each other, to strengthen each other, and that, Lord, we'd be able to draw people in for you. We lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.